0: Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, progressive Filipino organizations protest U.S.-led military exercises in the Philippines and a new agreement to open up four new U.S. military bases there. Also, Miguel Gavila Molina back from the celebration of the 53rd Chicano Park Day. And Biden readies to announce his new campaign for re-election. Roots Action says... Don't run, Joe. All this and more coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine. We come to you every weekday from 5 to 6 over the Pacifica Radio Network. We are happy uh, to have you along. And uh, we're going to start back in the Philippines. Uh, there are uh, actions being organized by uh, a series of uh, progressive Filipino organizations in the Bay Area, really, around the world, to uh, resist uh, these Massive new uh, U.S. military uh, exercises with the Philippines, in the Philippines, and then these uh, construction of these massive new bases. And anybody who knows anything about the history of the U.S. in the Philippines and military bases there, it's been Devastating, uh, and here we go for another 21st century round. Joining us to talk about it is Mohammed Radhan. Uh, he works with Bayan Norcal. That's an alliance of progressive Filipine, uh, Filipino organizations that will be taking uh, action uh, against uh, these uh, the building of these bases. Welcome to Flashpoints, Mohammed. Good to have you with
1: us. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Um, it's really exciting to be here.
0: Well. Uh, let's. Could we have a little bit of history in terms of the United States and military bases and the way in which the U.S. government and the U.S. military has really wreaked havoc in the Philippines with these bases?
1: Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, so one example that comes to mind is um, back in 2014, I believe, um, over in Olongapo City, which is a well-known um, U.S. military uh, um uh, base location, um, there was the um, infamous killing of Jennifer Lode, who was a trans woman, um, by a, um, a U.S. military, uh, US military personnel. Um, um, this person was, um, the military uh, person was not granted um, any um, sort of, um, um, how should we say, um, punitive measures um, by the Philippine government. Um, there was um, clemency given by the Philippine government under Duterte. Um, The killing was almost um, uh, the killing of Jennifer Lade was almost um, completely um, excused um, by the previous administration and complete um, control um, over the um, prosecution of the U.S. military personnel was given um, completely to um, the U.S. military um, facing who faced almost uh, basically no punitive measures over this um, um, over the killing um and of course you know we can also go back to the um US Philippine American uh, the Philippine American war um in which you know hundreds of thousands of Filipinos were killed um you know following the Spanish American war after the battle of Manila Bay um you know which um many uh, many say was kind of like a mock battle to stage the handoff of the Philippines um to the United States um in its um uh, quest for um kind of like a colonial empire within the Pacific you know hundreds of thousands of Filipinos were killed um, you know mercilessly, uh, alongside you know a lot of uh, indigenous peoples uh, Muslim peoples in the south um, uh, during this period um, but yeah,
0: what is the uh, current situation now in terms of uh, human human rights um, the current marcos government w- w- what does this look like now, uh, and is it getting worse under Marcos?
1: Yeah. So uh, maybe so, so. A quick context um, for the listeners. Um, so last year in the Philippines, um, it saw the election of Ferdinand Marcos uh, Jr. Jr., uh, who is the son of the former dictator of the Philippines back in the 70s and 80s um, into presidency. And um, throughout this um, past year since his election, we have seen um, a pivot by this new regime, uh, especially welcoming back um, U.S. military presence within the country, alongside um, you know the U.S. continuing. Um, as it did under Duterte, uh, funding counterinsurgency operations um, to assist the like you know, the newly elected regime. Um, and these counterinsurgency uh, operations like you know, they primarily target um, indigenous communities, um you know, they target activists. there's a you know, there's a something that we call in our uh, in the Philippines called red tagging, right? Um, to discredit any sort of criticisms of the government um to say that, oh, like they're a part of like a communist rebellion, therefore it's justified to target them. Um, and moreover, you know, just people that have been critical of, you know, um, not just the current, but even like the past, um, the past regime of the former president um, um, Duterte, and so that's kind of like the current um, human rights um, situation right now. Um, and within, you know, the recent um, within recent months, we've seen the current regime agree, um, as you said earlier, to the addition of four new U.S. military bases under the country in what's called the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement. Um, alongside a 3.3 million dollar aid package to the Philippine National Police, um, you know, for supposed anti-terrorism efforts, but of course, what these um, efforts are is targeting, um, you know, any critics of the government, um, you know, silencing of media, things like that.
0: I see you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio, and we're talking about some actions that are coming up uh, to resist uh, the. Uh, cre- construction of four new US military bases in the Philippines and are you concerned that part of this uh infrastructure thing is a part of the support of the the US uh, program they call it the pivot which is to Uh, make sure that you do everything uh, possible to restrain, undermine, and control uh, China and surround China by land, air, sea, and space. And the Philippines are meant to play a key role in that. Would you say that this is uh, part of the uh, modus operandi here?
1: Definitely. Um, So, you know, even um, back in, you know, when we look at history, you know, the Philippines has always been seen as kind of like for the United States, especially that kind of gateway to Asia, right? Um, and kind of in the modern t- context, you know, what um, these moves are to build these military bases is very much um, a provocation against China. So within the Philippines, you know, there is the issue of, you know, Chinese incursions in the West Philippine Sea. But with the U.S. military buildup in the Philippines, you know, we very much see this as an unnecessary provocation against China. Um, you know, that, you know, it puts military forces in the area um, and ultimately, you know, it puts these uh, puts the United States and China in um, Uh, In kind of like a conflict position with the Filipino people being within the line of fire and ultimately if conflict were to break out between these countries, you know, it's not going to primarily be the United States suffering from this. It's going to be um, the Philippines and the Filipino people um, primarily. So, yes, definitely.
0: And it it really is extraordinary. Like the United States needs four new massive military bases in the Philippines. What, what, What else? Could explain that except getting on a pro-war footing, we see the endless uh, China bashing, uh, and this is the kind of infrastructure. uh, It was the Philippines, right? That was the it became the practice grounds for the Vietnam War.
1: Exactly correct. That is correct. Yeah, Um, you know, back in um, you know during like during the Vietnam War uh, era. Maybe I can talk a little about this. You know, um, even during that area, there was very much a, resistant by the, a resistance by the people um, to oppose the presence of U.S. military bases and to call for you know the Philippine exit from uh, participation um, within the Vietnam War. Because ultimately, you know, um, if the Philippines is going to be used kind of like as like a glorified ba- uh, military base, um, you know, that's not really addressing the needs of the Filipino people. It's just primarily serving another country's interest um, to invade to invade a country. Um that's just nearby, and ultimately you know the people don't want that they they want what's the best for themselves, they want to have a good life, they want you know industrialization, things like that. and you know it's it's very much antithetical to what the interests of the Filipino people want.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about the the organization, the organizing that are that's going on in terms of uh, the way in which you plan to resist. I know there are some protests planned. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I can talk a little bit about the uh, the upcoming protests. So locally here in Northern California, um, so the alliance that I'm a part of, an organization, uh, Bayan, or also Bagong Allianzang Makabayan, the new patriotic alliance of Northern California, we are holding both um, not just a, a, a rally, um, but also actually a teach-in. So this Thursday, um, actually 6.30 p.m., we are going to be holding a rally over in San Francisco at Union Square. Um, and within Union Square, there is the monument to, you know, General Dewey, who was the U.S. Um, general who was, uh, you know, in charge of um, planning the occupation and invasion of the Philippines back in um, the 1890s, early 1900s. Um, so there will be uh, a rally um, in, in, uh, in opposition to the building of these U.S. military bases. Um, but I'd also like to point out that aside from just the rally, we're also going to be doing a like community educational discussion, a community teaching about, you know, um, uh, neoliberalism. Right. Um, so uh, another thing that I'd like to actually flag is that um, coming May 1st, um, which is also known as International Workers Day, um, uh, President Marco, uh, Marco, Ferdinand Marcos will actually be visiting um, the United States um, to have a bilateral meeting with uh, President Joe Biden. And, um, you know, we just thought saw, saw fit that, you know, maybe um, it would be a good opportunity to kind of like show like the link And solidarity and struggle between you know like you know the working class of the united states why it matters so much that you know the united states meddles in the affairs of other countries um to help build that kind of like solidarity that like what affects the people overseas also affects you know um the people here right like the amount of tax dollars that goes to the militarization um of these countries the amount of tax dollars that goes to fund these like so-called friendly dictators you know as we say um when this money could very much be you know invested in our own communities here in the united states could be invested in our education healthcare, um things like that but is instead uh, sent overseas um for the military for, for, mil- for military spending um so i just wanted to flag that as well but this will well, be that's really imp- um,
0: okay Go on please continue
1: oh yeah so this will be um thursday april 27th um the rally will be at 6 30 p.m but we will have that Neoliberalism uh, educational discussion peeped in uh, about an hour early, so 5.30 p.m. Um, in Union Square at the General Dewey uh, Monument. <laughs>
0: I'm going to give you a chance to announce all this again, but I want to ask you one more question about activism uh, When it, in the context of the Philippines. Uh, under the first Marcos, it was dangerous uh, for Filipinos to take action outside the country, and there were all kinds of retaliation, and oftentimes, the first Marcos would get away with it because, like now, uh, the policy with the United States was in unison uh, with the philippines or at least the united states was demanding a certain kind of policy and the philippines were uh acting accordingly to our activists filipino activists in this country still uh under threat is it still a risk uh i know it's a risk to be an activist in the philippines Is it follow you uh, here to the uh, u.s
1: um definitely so um you know i'm not going to lie to you you know the As I mentioned earlier, when I talked about kind of like the red tagging, right, that happens in the Philippines, um, that also very much happens um, in this country as well. So there is um, a government agency in the Philippines called the NTF LCAC, the National Task Force to End Local Communist Armed Conflict. So, what this agency essentially does is it conducts, you know, red tagging of like, let's say, organizations in the Philippines, progressive organizations, labor organizations. Um, But it also, you know, targets, um, you know, overseas uh, activists, overseas organizations you know, that bring up these criticisms or that bring up these problems um, in the Philippines. And, you know, they very much make it a point to, you know, try to target these um, overseas communities because, you know, as we know, um, you know, the Philippines has actually one of like the largest diasporas, right? There are a lot of what we call OFWs, overseas Filipino workers. Um, So that practice of like red tagging is still very much alive today um by the government agency i can also even look to history you know back in the 70s 80s um i, I don't remember their names in particular but you know up in seattle there were those two um filipino american activists who were against the the first marcos who were you know killed by marcos gunmen um and they were you know union organizers they were labor organizers and they were very much uh, targeted and you know that process um still very much happens today that the practice of red tagging um red tagging red tagging organizations um especially when um we have these foreign visits such as when marcos is coming to the united states that's especially when those red tagging efforts um ramp up
0: Right. And this is, as you say, the diaspora, um, there are many people who are dependent upon the money coming back to the Philippines. So it could really be devastating if uh, Marcos II, uh, you know, puts out the word and uh, caused a great deal of suffering and a lot of fear. And I'm sure it stops some people from acting but many people have the courage to stand up and fight back and again let me give you uh, an opportunity to remind people how they might want to participate what w- what are you hoping that people might do
1: definitely um so i think um in response to that you know um our best defense against you know red tagging is you know ultimately like you know the work that we're doing in it knowledge that you know the government of the philippines and even you know our own government here in the united states you know often you know very much its people you know we have to really you know show that hey like the work that we're doing is um you know really helping it's really for the people it's really help. it's really for these uh for the people um you know it's really showing care for the people and you know if as long as you know we're continuing doing our community organizing showing that you know who are we primarily doing all this work for you know ultimately the best defense against you know institutional violence or, like, um, red-tagging the best defenses from your own community because they can recognize the work that you do right. uh, you know, locally in your own community, even overseas, um, and especially, you know, with um, our solidarity allies. So, you know, of course, you know, for us here in the United States, um, you know, we're surrounded by, you know, many movements, uh, many groups of people, many different uh, um different different peoples who are all struggling, you know, for different things. And, you know, we really much have to build those, you know, you know, those ties with everyone because, you know, we all do share the same struggle. You know, maybe our our struggle against U.S. imperialism is also very much tied to, you know, like the labor struggle here in the United States. And as long as, you know, we're continuing to forge those ties, you know, we're doing our community work, you know, that's that's possibly the best defense that we can ever have. Um, Beautiful.
0: To. Beautiful. And again, we'll just very quickly remind uh, people how they could, uh, uh, when the protest, the actions are.
1: Yes. So uh, just uh, once again, it'll be on Thursday, April 27th at 6.30 p.m. Um, at the General Dewey Monument in Union Square, San Francisco. And we will be having a neoliberalism teach-in at 5.30 p.m., one hour before the rally.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing this with us. Really appreciate it, Muhammad. Be safe. Come back soon and uh, tell us what happened. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Be safe. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. Going to take a short break. And, uh, well, I-, I don't know if he announced it. I- I've been in a cocoon here, but uh, Biden's threatening to announce uh, his run. For a second term, we're going to talk about that. Is it some people are saying, no, Joe, don't run. We'll be back.
2: Here you are Be sure of what you're saying Don't be in who you are People trying to get you back up And all this to bring you down
0: That's Stan stand Tall with the side cut on flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. This is your daily investigative news magazine. Well, I don't I've been so busy find, trying to track what's been going on in uh, North Africa and uh, the Middle East that uh, I don't know. Welcome, Jeff Cohn. Roots Action, did he announce? Uh, I, uh, no, I'm sure you're not a. Go on. What I'm do you not know? I'm in
3: the cocoon. Uh, the cocoon I'm in is. Reading everything about what's going to happen tomorrow morning, and Biden is expected to announce it's four years after he announced his last bid for president. It will probably be in a two minute video that will re- be released in the morning. And you're right, for some of us, you know, rootsaction.org sponsored uh, don'trunjoe.org, uh, we're fearful. We're fearful that Biden is an inadequate candidate. He won for a year, you know, in 2020 when the incumbent was the very troubled Donald Trump. But this time, Joe Biden will be the incumbent. And he's not a very inspiring or bold or energetic leader. And if the economy is weak, we feel he's going to hurt the whole Democratic Party. That's why we spent months urging Biden not to run. Most of the Democrats in the country in every single poll don't want him to run. There's even more people in this country that don't want Biden to run again than, want, than don't want Trump to run again. Trump, and Trump yeah. is fairly hated. So <laughs> there's all sorts of reasons uh, that we would like to see an open primary uh, a competition and some real debates.
0: Sometimes when I think about this, it, it makes me a little silly here. But uh, what are some of the uh, people will say? Well, he got he did. They passed the Build Back whatever that is. Better. It was a good thing for the country. He's done. He turned it around. He took on. He came in after Trump had just destroyed everything. And what's your problem? Are you crazy? Yeah. You, you, wouldn't it be a risk to to put somebody else? This is the guy who beat Trump. Jeff. Yeah. I – Well, he
3: beat Trump, but with the help of progressive organizing in every key swing state. I mean, everyone knows that. RootsAction.org was heavily involved in defeating Trump in 2020 in Wisconsin, Michigan and Arizona, three states where Trump was defeated. There were huge numbers of racial justice activists who played that same role in uh, in other states, especially Georgia. So, uh, yeah, it was a big uh, historic achievement to defeat Trump. But is Biden the candidate that people want in 2024? Democrats don't want him. Young people don't want him. Progressive activists don't want him. And, you know, he's going to get worse. Like, you bring up Build Back Better. That didn't really pass. Parts of it got passed and uh, what was called the Inflation Reduction Act. Um you know, there's been very little expansion of health care. Climate is now going in the wrong direction. As you know, it, there's three recent decisions from the Biden administration to drill in the Gulf of Mexico, to drill in Arctic Alaska, to promote liquid, uh, liquid natural gas uh, exporting. Um, he, it's like he's moving more toward the corporate elite and toward the Republicans when what's really going to defeat the Democrats, if Democrats lose in 2024, is what defeated Democrats in 2016. And that's dampened voter enthusiasm. Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, Trump won once, at least he won the Electoral College uh, victory. And he did it because uh, black and brown and young voters didn't turn out. There was no enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton. And uh, and Trump ran his faux populism into the White House, and today we have this lack of enthusiasm behind Biden. I can only imagine that the Democratic leaders believe that the Republican Party is considered so extreme, and if they put up another faux populist extremist president, that even if Biden is you know half asleep and sort of. Uh, sleepwalking through the campaign, he'll he'll still be able to defeat the Republicans. At RootsAction.org and Don'tRunJoe.org, we're just not optimistic about it. We're fearful.
0: Say a little bit more about what kind of support the campaign has and the message has about Don't Run Joe, aren't people afraid, people aren't that politically astute. And many people, Jeff, as you know, are terrified. Uh, and, and because of, I believe, because of the Biden administration failure and the attorney general and the entire, the way in which they totally mishandled the investigation of Trump, they've pushed this election and the Trump thing right into the next election. And we all know, Jeff. You know, it's, it's you know journalism one oh one. If you're if you're working on a story and it's coming close to an election and the and your uh, the, your focus is running, uh, you have a hard time until after the election is over. Everybody yep. knew this was happening. This is part of that failure of policy, wouldn't you say? This kind of weak need attorney general.
3: Yeah, uh, I've got criticisms not only of the attorney general but of. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, 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 transportation secretary, Joe Buttigieg, who's done very little for railroad safety and other problems, airline safety.
0: Oh, yeah. You could
3: you could go through the whole cabinet. I mean, let's face it. If 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 you've got listeners, Dennis, who are getting their news largely from MSNBC and CNN and NPR, all they ever hear about is Joe Biden is triumphing again. Joe Biden, massive legislation, we keep hearing. The reality is we have massive crises in our country. One of them is climate. One of them is economic and racial inequality. Another is uh, denialism about guns. Another is denialism about abortion. We have massive crises facing the country. And the go slow, yes, no, status quo corporatism of a Joe Biden administration, while it's better than the Republicans for sure, it's not meeting the crises. And so uh, that's why Don't Run Joe has gained a lot of support. People can still sign our petition up, up till the last minute. Uh, you know, we're still urging Biden to reconsider. Uh, We just we're fearful that this go slow, yes, no corporatism won't get the job done. We would prefer and we're still hoping we will keep pushing for Biden to withdraw if he does announce tomorrow. We want an open Democratic primary. We want progressive issues debated. We want new policies that come closer to meeting the crises that our nation faces. Joe, another Uh, six years of Joe Biden won't get the job done. Is it better than Trump winning? Of course, but we're not sure Biden can beat Trump in 2024. We think there are other candidates who could beat Trump if Joe Biden would step aside and allow an open primary. You know, uh, Biden represents the status quo today. I mean, if the economy is weak in 2024, a faux populist like Trump Or DeSantis could defeat Biden if the economy is weak. He he inspires few. Most Democrats, the newest NBC News poll shows most Democrats want an alternative to Biden. They want a different candidate. And what you have is the party, the Democratic Party leadership sort of imposing Biden on the Democratic Party base that doesn't want him. It's the exact opposite of the Republican side, where you have a party base imposing Trump on the Republican leadership that doesn't want him. Uh, so it, it's really, to me, it's sad. The only two candidates that have announced are Marianne Williamson, the author, and Robert Kennedy, Jr., uh, the environmental advocate, the critic of vaccines. Um You know, it's my view that we should push the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, to actually have debates, even if those are the only three candidates in the race. Uh, The Democratic National Committee has said there will be no debates, that Biden is their candidate. That's a Democratic Party not acting in a Democratic way.
0: You know, I was actually uh, in a seminar with Marion uh, Williamson yesterday, and it was refreshing compared to all the crap I've heard. But, I mean, obviously, Jeff, the the, the, the big elephant in the room here uh, has tusks and knocking over everything is the big dollar bill. And Biden, Biden is owned. By the big dollar yeah. bill, the corporate parties are, isn't this, until we deal with this, we've got a big problem on our hands, don't we?
3: Yes. Um, I think if you look at today's Washington Post, which has a very good insider account of what Biden is expected to do tomorrow, and the campaign uh, manager is expected to be Cesar Chavez's granddaughter, Right. Uh, you know, the two minute video. But what they talk about is how he they've already been reaching out to the big corporate donors. People may forget that when Biden uh, announced his run four years ago, one of the first things he did was go to the big corporate donors who were gathered at the Carlisle Hotel in New York. And a campaign pool reporter, only one reporter is allowed into those private fundraising gatherings. And Joe Biden said to these billionaires and multimillionaires and CEOs, don't worry about your personal incomes. And this is a quote. Nothing will fundamentally change. That's what Biden assured his corporate donors in 2016. And he's going more and more corporate in the last few weeks, more and more conservative. These these uh, decisions on drilling in the Arctic for oil, drilling, drilling. in the Gulf yeah. for oil, liquefied natural gas exports, these are horrific decisions. I mean, every young climate activist knows you have to leave the fossil fuel in the ground. It, you know, So we need a Democratic leadership that believes something fundamentally must change. That's not what you get from Joe Biden. It's not what you get from the Democratic National Committee. And worse of all, they may not have their uh, stuff together in order to defeat the Republicans in 2024, despite the extremism of the Republican Party.
0: You know, Jeff. Uh, one of the things that happens here at Pacific Radio is that you know I've got a lot of a very well-educated audience watching all kinds of uh, stuff and that. But they, most of them are MSNBC fans, yeah. and I, I actually got what was sort of borderline threatening because I was going after a couple of the hosts. Uh, what I mean is I was giving their history, where they came from, what yeah. they did, what they covered up, what they reported on. I, I, you know, now Jeff, you're a master of the media and I, I don't think it's ever been so bad. I look at MSNBC and it, 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 is, it used to be, you know, you guys, I think, coined the phrase stenographer journalism. But yeah. seriously, they've got about four spokespeople. For, within the last two or three years, spokespeople for Biden that are now hosts on MSNBC. Oh, and you yeah, can't tell re- the difference.
3: It's a revolving door. It's, I mean, MSN, Jen Psaki, who was the spokesperson for Biden, is now a host. Uh, There's several of them who are hosting MSNBC shows that used to be spokespersons for the corporate Democratic Party leadership. So, I mean, there's a real problem. And David Sirota, the great independent journalist, has put his finger on it. If you compare Fox News to MSNBC and CMN, and Fox News, by the way, has more viewers than MSNBC and CMN combined. Uh, but <laughs> right. Fox News, they're, what they're doing is they're mobilizing the base. They're mobilizing their viewers. They're mobilizing their viewers to be angry. They're mobilizing their viewers to be angry that the Republican leadership isn't doing enough. And then you watch CNN and especially MSNBC. They're not mobilizing viewers. They're anesthetizing viewers. They're telling the viewers it's all going to be okay. Just leave it to the Democrats the republicans are so extreme and here's one more hour on how extreme the republicans are just leave it to the democratic leaders it, instead of mobilizing it's anesthetizing and it's very very dangerous i i mean msnbc viewers have been told week after week that joe biden is the second coming of franklin roosevelt that these these bills are massive you know this the best gun control bill in decades. Well, there hasn't been a gun control bill in decades. It was a it was a puny bill. You know, yes. the the biggest climate legislation ever. Yeah, there's never been climate legislation. And what we need, unlike what Biden is doing, is to stop drilling in the Arctic and stop drilling in the Gulf of Mexico mexico but you will never hear these things on msnbc on cnn there's never criticism of biden from the left there is sometimes criticism from the right i mean msnbc has no hosts who are leftists or maybe one you could argue is a left. but they have many hosts that are republicans uh and and obviously cnn right. is the same so i mean there's uh you you're right that you have people that listen to your show listen to da- Amy Goodman listen to Pacifica but they spend more time watching MSNBC CNN listening to NPR and there you get this this view of Joe Biden and the democratic leaders just leave it to them they'll get the job done they're doing the big things uh, it's just the Republican ex- ex- uh, obstruction and Joe Manchin obstructionism. Just leave it to the Democratic leaders. No, you cannot yeah. leave it to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That's not good enough. They don't want to fundamentally change things. That's what they tell their donors. We need fundamental change.
0: OK, we're we're out of time, but you want to name somebody who might be better, better candidate? Can you think of one?
3: Well, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, AOC would be a better candidate. There are a lot of progressives all in right. Congress. All right. OK. You know, they're all, uh, I think, afraid to wrong the DNC and Biden. I mean, imagine the, the, the vitriol from MSNBC hosts if some member of Congress is bold enough to say publicly, What they're all telling reporters privately, we fear Biden can't win. We fear he's too lackluster to win. But they won't say that publicly, and it's because they're fearful of the corporate media backlash and the corporate democratic backlash. But there are some good members of Congress. They're just holding their tongue, and we think that's the wrong strategy. That's that's why Roots Action uh, formed Don't Run yeah, Joe. Because
0: usually we're holding our nose. Anyway, uh, listen, yeah. how do... Uh, this is uh, Jeff Cohen, uh, Roots Action. They've got a campaign, Don't Run Joe. How do people follow that?
3: Uh, you could go to org. Our website is RootsAction.org, and we have a wonderful activism website called ProgressiveHub.net.
0: Thanks, Thank you, my old friend. Really appreciate it. Be safe. Bye-bye. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're going to skip the music break, and we're now going to – I'm so excited to introduce to you the Flashpoints team, Launda. And Flashpoints were down at Chicano Park. For a very special 53rd Chicano Park Day. And Miguel was there, the crew was there, and they brought some incredible stuff back for you. Here's some of it.
4: Yo soy Miguel Gavilan Molina. I'm here with Flash Honda Crew. We've arrived here in San Diego at Chicano Park, a historical landmark in the cultural advancement of la raza that happened 53 years ago it's exciting for me i got josefina Talamantes with us here la directora the director of the chicago park museum and cultural centro es un gran placer estar hoy día con usted josefina Y el evento aquí, si no cientos, miles de personas have converged from the north, from the south, from the west, from the east, from all four directions to celebrate this historic evento when a group of artistas, yourself and others, came together and it was one of the first times that we as a people began to look at art as a means to resist, to push back, I don't want to use the word weaponized, pero it turned into a means to push back against the racial bigotry that our people have suffered here since the invasion of the colonialists. Pero that said, today it's April the 22nd. We're just finishing the 420 and also Earth Day. Hoy día. Josefina, es un gran placer. Bienvenida al programa esta tarde
2: Pues aquí estamos y no nos vamos Y que viva Chicano Park Y que viva Chicano Park Y que viva Chicano Park Y que
4: ¿Verdad que sí? así le ponemos, it's exciting what's happening here, yourself and others. I've seen some of the veteranos, mujeres, and hombres que estuvieron aquí. When the Royal Chicano Air Force, yourself and others came together here as a gente, gente, point gente, of cultural, you know, culture coming together and the gente saying, ya basta. You took one of the oldest barrios in the United States at that time and removed it to placate the military, the island, the Coronado Island. And the know.
2: intent to put a California is... Highway Patrol Station right here, which is now the Chicano Park Museum and <laughs> Cultural Center. Yes, <Ike. laughs>
4: Let it be heard. As the drum beats, it should resonate. And as you hear in the background, the Mixe,ca Azteca, Mayan dancers are doing their ritual ceremonia. People don't realize, but the dance is not entertainment. No, it's not at It's an all. ofrenda. It's, It's a prayer, it's an offering. Pero today is really significant, Josefina. You know, you were here in the beginning. I was. And throughout the years, I think hace como maybe about 10 years ago vine, And the paint was falling off. It had chipped. It had cracked. And I did a little ceremonia here. And I said, ojalá that somehow this is part of our cultural history to resurrect it. And sure enough, somehow grants were gotten. Yourself, others, Herbert Suquencia came together and established something that's desperately needed here in California. And that is museums. That is Chicano, Chicana, what I call Chicanoa, museums, galleries, centros. We don't have too many of that. Better to see this here at this landmark. It's huge. How did you come about establishing the Museum and Cultural center Well,
2: I'll tell you the truth. It's got history to it. I was the director of the Centro Cultural de la Raza in Balboa Park back in the 70s. And at that time, they wanted us out of there because they didn't appreciate our culture. And I kept thinking, how could I be involved as the director of this agency in Balboa Park when they don't want us? And so I started saying, okay we're a cultural center, but maybe we should be a museum. And I began researching how to establish a museum. And that was 40 years ago. The centro is still there. And now they want us, of course. (laughs) But in 78, when the city forced the Chicano Federation out of this building, the Chicano Park Steering Committee who are the stewards of this park, we knew we couldn't handle the building. We were there for about three months And then they they wanted us to exchange the centro to come down here. And we we said, no, the centro needs to be where the cultural centers are in Balboa Park. And at that time, we said, only something that's going to serve the community. They sent in Phil Del Campo, who was a dean at that time, Dr. Del Campo, to negotiate with us. And it was Jose Gomez, who was also one of the founders of this park, and myself. And we said, well... You know, when he said we could put um, adult in continuing education here, and we said, okay, that would serve Barrio Logan. We could serve services. He promised us that they would... Give us the building back for the community once they have built a, a, a facility for them. And they have a beautiful facility three blocks from here. We just didn't know it was going to take 35 friggin' years <laughs> to build the building. And how many of us have died along see, the way? Like so when I heard that they had finally built the building, I started negotiating with the city. And I said, that building comes good. back to us. And we had a very supportive city council person at that time who was David Alvarez, who is now a David Alvarez and he lives here in this community because we were renovating the building and so once we got in um, then we began organizing so that we could have an opening we opened October 8th 2022 we are six months old we're babies (laughs) but the Chicano Park Steering Committee who was founded on April 22nd, 1970, we are the ones that took over this land. We stopped the state of California and the city of San Diego from putting a California highway patrol station. So while the nation was launching National Earth Day, we were facing jail time. But you know what, we didn't care. We didn't care because they had already displaced three-fourths of our community. When Interstate 5 came through and then the Coronado Bay Bridge, we went from 20,000 residents to down to less than five within 10 years which is ridiculous, through eminent domain. And to learn later, me, I lived here. I just thought all my tias lived here, all my grandmas lived here, everybody lived here. We were segregated. This community, Logan Heights, was segregated. And it was segregated through redlining. We couldn't get loans to move anywhere else. So they displaced us, just like East L.A., all the spaghetti straps of the freeways. They did the same thing here. And... You have to understand, this was what a working class community did. This was no park. We occupied, took over, and created a park. We stopped the bulldozers by human chains. We began planting our own maguey, our own plants. But everything else from that time on has been a struggle. And the steering committee has been consistent. All volunteers, never paid, never paid. And we've had a couple of different directors, but the, the, the mainstay was Tomasa Camarillo, Tommy Camarillo. And Tommy had maintained records. Because of Tommy, we have an archive of 53 years of history of Chicano Park and Logan Heights because Logan Heights is where everybody was segregated to come. You had blacks, you had Asians, you had Chicanos, you had natives, you had, you had poor white people that lived here. So, we all lived here right. because the, the canneries were here. We so, worked in the canneries. Right, right. And so because of that, you know, we're still dealing with it. In the 90s, we had the KKK that threw pain at our pillars. And then in 2018, we had the Proud Boys come and implode themselves on the other side of the street. We have been dealing with this kind of racism ever since today. Let me give you an example. Today, one of the medium came in, media came in, couldn't identify themselves. And then they turned around, oh, you people. Well, they got chased out of the park today. Very, very politically correct if you know exactly what I mean. And so they're calling their presidents and their institutions to deal with us. But we will deal with them because when you insult us, you deal with us. And we're here, y aquí estamos, y y no no nos vamos. vamos.
4: Well, Josefina, one of the things that's really importante, even though Chicano Park is located here, we you know, it extends parks. all the way to Seattle, wherever there's Chicanos, wherever there's agricultural, industry, industrial centers, the raza's there, and Chicano Park is alive there. Absolutely. I've been in Texas, and people talk about Chicano Park. Yeah. I've been in Utah amongst the raza, their immigrant rights movement. Right. They know Chicano Park. Yes. And I've said throughout the years, Chicano Park is here. But it belongs to the race within this country. In within this, we, Andale, Aslan, we are here. Yes. <laughs> y aquí estamos.
2: Aquí estamos.
4: And that's why we're here, because right. this is one of the biggest original barrios in this country. Yes. This was the first one back in uh, 1600s? Yeah. We've been here. We've <laughs> so been here. it's ancient, it's historical. Free borders. Andale, las tres fronteras. Yeah. Pues mira. Outside of that, incredible program. There's booths, there's food. To see the Lowrider Car Club Associations come out in force, and then to see the Brown Berets coming in from Arizona.
2: Gavilan, this is the largest lowrider exhibition in the world. That's not part of commercialized convention centers and competitions. The largest in the world. And we we've gone to Japan because they've taken us to Japan. Right, right. We've gone to Kansas City, Missouri, baby. <laughs> I was at the first Chicano exhibition show in Kansas City, Missouri.
4: Ay, ay, ay.
2: And we took we took our big banner of the of the of the Lowriders, and it was the first ever Lowrider show we had there. We have sister parks in Arizona, Denver, Colorado, Santa Barbara, Tucson, Arizona. Like you were saying, we are sister parks all over, and we lit the new fire August 13th at the ending of the 52 years. August 13th last year, the end of 52, to start the new year. And it was the first time that Chicanos lit the new fire for Aslan uh-huh. right here in Chicano Park. And it was an all night velacion con danzantes, con gente, y gente de todo, todo, all the way around. And then what we did, is with those sister parks, they each planted a tree to commemorate and to be part of Chicano Park.
4: Incredible rich history. And just to go back to the low riders, We as Raza have taken the most destructive machine ever created, made it beautiful, which is the automobile. We've taken that metal, wires, rubber, plastic, chrome, and transformed it into Chicano super mobile art, modern day chariots.
2: Our newest mural that's right over there, it's the Brown Image Mural, and it's all made with 40 pounds of metal flake. I'm going to go. Yes, absolutely.
4: I took the Caminada with the United Farm Workers this summer from Delano to Sacramento. And I was in another Caminada years earlier, but they were always in La Primavera during spring.
2: And the Royal Chicano Air Force always, always welcomes the Caminates. Exacto.
4: So este año was the first time they had a pilgrimage in the summer, not the spring. Hijo, I tell you, walking on asphalt at 120 degrees that asphalt becomes 130 degrees. You got that. Pero all through the valley, who came out to protect us from the trucks that would not stop slowing down? The lowriders. Absolutely. They came down, and to every pueblo, they forced the trailers to go to the outside and keep away from us the whole time. And even there were some minor confrontations with the CHP, with the local sheriffs. but eventually they realized it was sanctioned by the state. Pero increíble. And I said to myself, it all... Come see let you. me
2: let me tell you you remember what I just told you about the city council David Alvarez Anda. he's now an assemblyman and right, he's right. the one pushing the bill that cruising is not a crime ah! And he's here in the park somewhere.
4: Well, if you see him, si lo miras, grab he, him.
2: He is here in the park because okay. they're set up a booth for him.
4: Andale, I'm going to see if because I can. Because
2: we don't do politicians in our park, but he's here giving information. Pues mira, Josefina,
4: it's been a pleasure. you got to get ready.
2: Yeah, the flag raising.
4: Yes. Any last statement, message you'd like to give to our radio audience?
2: Absolutely. From the Bay Area to Sacramento to the Central Valley to the to the to the California, to the border here. Aqui estamos, no nos vamos, come visit the park. It's a national landmark and the Chicano Park Museum and Cultural Center is open for historical research and for visitation of our exhibitions. We have rotating exhibitions right now. It's called Pillars, Stories of Resilience and Self-Determination.
4: This is Miguel Gavilar Molina. Reporting for Flash Honda. I'm here in Southern California, in San Diego, the largest naval military uh, facility in the country. But we're here at a historical gathering, the 53rd anniversary of Chicano Park. And uh, we got a very special guest with us esta tarde this afternoon here sitting across me. And that is Professor Alberto Trujillo, who uh, is also the, uh, I believe, vice chair of the uh, Chicano Park Museum and Cultural Centro. Uh, Alberto, it's uh, not only a pleasure, pero mira, se me paró el pelo aquí. Right on, brother. Thank with, you. Con the energy and the spirit y todo. Gracias. Uh, And uh, you're a very uh, intriguing and important part in the resurgence and the resurrection of Chicano cultural art. And it started here. It started here 53 years ago when the Royal Chicano Air Force, other artistas came together and it was the beginning. I I don't like to use the, the word weaponized. Because it's negative, pero using arte as a means to push back, as a means to resist and as a means to reclaim our identity and reform our cultura. And you've been here since the beginning. Pues Alberto, tell us, from when you first came involved here to today, what have you seen that has happened?
5: Well, I think you said it right on by speaking about the power of the art. And let me put it to you this way. I spend a lot of my time giving tours here at the parque, work with a lot of youth, work with people from all over the world. And the thing that I always like to say is these pillars that destroyed this neighborhood back in the 1960s when the artists came along through their imagination and through their power of color and and creativity transformed them into our community. I like to use the word re-inscription. They rewrote them. And so these pillars that at one point tore us apart, we lost 75% of our neighborhood, uh, are now back. And in fact, we're very proud of our pillars. And if you go into our museo, our our exhibit is called Pillars of Resistance. yes, Because that's who we are. And you take an artist like Victor Ochoa, who had the imagination to turn the pillar into a fist. And they even had a publication that was called El Chingazo, because it was right. it was I'm about done. breaking that bridge. And, uh, you know, the bridge has been oppressive. Uh, we've had drunk drivers drive off and kill our community. We have those cars polluting our neighborhood because of all the toxins that come over here. And, uh, and yet we're still here. And it's all about this Chicano struggle where we deal with the contradictions, right? We work within the, the Chicano image and vision as a way to recognize who we are. And that aquí estamos y no nos vamos. Exactly,
4: absolutely, Alberto. You know, the other cosa también, for me, is just so reaffirming, and that's that. I walked around and I noticed that probably out of every 10 persons, seven are youth, juventud, chavalos, teenagers, students, chiquitos. And I say to myself, mira nomás, we never imagined this. And again, one of the things I was observing earlier, Alberto, and that's that not only the arte, pero you re-energized the gente. This year, this calling for this 53rd anniversary, I've heard it all the way to Seattle. I've heard it all the way to Salt Lake City, New York, New Jersey. People know Chicano Park. They know that in California, there is a place for us you know, because we're not Latinos. We're Indigenous. our raices and la madre sagrada. And people go, are, are you Mexicano? I say, my ancestors, I'm Chicano. I'm on this side of the frontera. You know, on one end, I don't fit here. On the other end, I don't quite fit there. But we've created a We've created this essence and yourself and others through being teachers, teaching the history, bringing the history back. Look at this. I thought maybe there'd be a couple of thousand people. There are thousands! <laughs> In that respect, I know it's an ongoing issue here. It took you some time to actually open up the museo. Pero what now? Where are we at this place? I know they there's other states... In other cities that want to create Chicano parks, like here. So the influence spread beyond San Diego and California. And again, I attribute that to persons like yourself, who have devoted themselves, not only teaching the history, but bringing the arte And the mural art here started, of course, back in the day when Diego Rivera and his wife, Frida Carlo, came to San Francisco and were commissioned by first to paint the murals and Cisqueros was commissioned also. Well, those murals have now been covered over. Why? Because they deal with truth in history. And it's that truth in history that the supremacists, that the nationalists, what I call the Trumplicans, can't can't take. They can't take the truth. Because if we tell the truth as it is, mira nomas. And like here, the, this was one of the largest barrios in the United States back in the 1700s, 1800s. The largest barrio went from, I think, 20, 30,000 to what, 500?
5: 5,000.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Híjole. Pero, mira ahora. You wouldn't know the difference. Again, Alberto, I attribute that to yourself, to, to the professores, to the maestros, and to the artists that came together to keep it alive. What, what message would you give young people today about the significance of this parque in their lives, whether they've come conscious or not?
5: I would start by saying that, as you've already mentioned, uh, we consider Chicano Park sacred land, Tierra Sagrada. And therefore, we have no enemies here. We're all a one community. And unfortunately, homie, that when you look at that Freeway 5, all it did is divide us. So we have turf conflicts. And we've got to look beyond that damn freeway and recognize that we're all united here at this parque. You know, people have lost their lives here. We had a drunk driver fly off the bridge and kill four people. And you know, so we've got to look at it that way. We're beyond just, you know, this is uh this is a neutral, you know, sacred space where we have dan Santos, where we have art, where we have palabra, you know, we have everything here. And uh, we need to just remember that and honor that. Um I wanna add that, you know, one one of the biggest struggles in this neighborhood with our youth is unfortunately this neighborhood is what you call digitally redlined meaning there was no wi-fi so when uh, the mayor came to us the new mayor he says i'm thinking of putting wi-fi i said well you know you're a little late boy i mean because this was a little bit moving beyond the covid thing and our kids had already not been interested in school anymore because they couldn't go to class Everything was on the damn uh, Wi-Fi. So they were hanging out, writing their skateboards, because you'd say, I can't be in school. I don't have access to Wi-Fi. So now the park has Wi-Fi, not the best, but it's those kind of things that are going to count against us. We had uh, COVID very seriously in this neighborhood and the county. Who were number one? The Chicanos. Uh, through our work, we didn't, we didn't vaccinate one person, not 500, but 1,000 people. And check it out. We had been told there's nobody in that neighborhood that needs the vaccination. But what we did differently is we went door to door. The berets were helping us. They were hanging out at the mercados, talking to ancianos, people from Tijuana, because they were embarrassed. And you know what was the shame about that? When they would get the vaccination, they'd come up to me and they'd say, can you sign something for me? I said, Why? because they wouldn't let me get off work. So I...